Well, our vision uh, series um, has been just an inc- uh, just amazing time. And uh, as you know, we're not digging into anything new. Uh, we're not digging into anything that's just um, something out there, but it's historic, authentic Christianity. It's straight out of the, the words of our master, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's something based in and founded in discipleship. We're following Jesus into loving God and loving others. And that's where everything really is. And as we have been following so far, uh, Jake has really kicked it off and just talked through that the whole Bible from beginning to end, that God has redeemed us so that we can feel and hear the fullness and experience the fullness of his love for us. And, um, and we talked about how everything is sourced in our life with God. As Jake mentioned, you know, our life with God is everything, and you can't have anything else except for this one. So that's why we're going to be um, setting up our tents and camping out um, here in these next several sermons. Um, We will have an encounter next week, encounter night, and then followed by Randy is going to speak God's word to us. And um, and then after that, Jake um, will continue to lay that foundation um, in the life with God. But um, as you know, each time, each part of our vision in this, these three circles vision, life with God, um, life with others, and lights to the world, it's not disconnected either. They are like, when you put all three together, they are like lenses to see what kingdom life looks like. And so we want to make sure that as we are enjoying this life with God, that we're not just going to be Lone Ranger Christians and just kind of being in our own little um, corner of our room. But make sure that we are also in life and enjoying fellowship and life with one another. And that's where uh, we have our DGs, our discipleship groups, and our community groups. That's why we have belonging. That's why we have gathering. Um, And so we don't want to be a holy huddle either. We're broken people that's changed by living life in Christ. So we hope that people would see something in us that they won't see out there in the world. And that they would see, hopefully, the light of Jesus the authentic love that he's had um, from before time again for his father, that they would see that um, in us and that they would just be invited in this kingdom life. And so um, that's kind of where we are and that's where we're camping out and um, we're gonna be heading into John 15. Um, Well, I don't have a gift of a green thumb. Um, My wife, Christine, does. Um, So when I did church planning a long time ago, about 10 or 11 years ago, I remember a church service in which there were a lot of people that showed up. There was a lot of excitement, um, and it was an amazing time of worship. But when I got home, as soon as I got home, Christine said she wanted to do gardening that afternoon. So we went from like lights and show and production and ministry to tending to smelly fertilizer in the garden. And uh, for me at that time, I was just enamored by the glitz and the glamour of planting churches and all the people work it entails where she was just so satisfied in the quiet work of tending the garden. And so when we first started working on this garden back in California, it was a death trap. Everything that we tried to plant died. <laughs> um, and we discovered that the pH of the soil was off and we needed to fertilize the soil. And I just saw it as just, to be honest, it was just pure drudgery. Like this was, uh, for Christine though, it was 
life-giving. And I couldn't understand why. Man, after all this, why bother doing all this work of putting stuff in the dirt and painstakingly watching them grow? I mean, it didn't look like things were growing anyways. And I, and I began to slowly realize the connection between growing healthy churches and growing plants. There's such things that as healthy soil from which things grow. So when we moved to Jersey Village, it was no surprise that as we were clearing out our backyard, of which we affectionately call the jungle, (laughs) she asked if I can till it and um, develop a garden. And that was the big joke. The big joke was that the backyard was going to be done in 10 phases. And to this day, I think we barely made it to phase two. And, uh, the, but the first phase took a long time. I went ahead and borrowed Ty Camp's tiller. Thank you, Ty. And uh, uh, almost uh, lost a very important part in that piece, which will remain, uh, uh, we won't mention that. Uh, and then we put some two by tens, I put some two by tens together, and behold, two planters were born. And, um, and we started growing just everything, tomatoes and, and beans and all those kind of things. And before long, it became a site for Asian vegetables. And then on the other planter, everything else. And, um, and you throw a picture on the screen, but now one of the most, my most favorite things to do is actually just to walk out there as the sun comes up and just enjoy gazing at its just natural beauty. We have a huge and long Chinese okra that's sitting on the top of the trellis. And uh, we also have a a long bean that's as long as my arm from fist to elbow, just kind of hanging down there. And as I look at it, I'm just like, wow. I'm amazed of just the natural beauty where I used to imagine nothing but work. Now it's become a joy. And that picture is a place I like, it shows a place that I'd really love to go as often as I can to admire God's work and just tracing out the beauty of a vine coming up, sprouting a bud and flowers and sprouting some okra. And that's where I feel that we, the Lord wants to help us to look through those lenses of this passage Do we see this passage in the eyes of a master gardener who loves his son, the vine, and us as an extension of Jesus' vine, which is all those who have trusted and followed Jesus? How powerful it is when God looks at his vineyard. He doesn't just see people, but he sees just a people beloved that reflects his own image. And that we gaze, as we gaze at um, his love for Jesus, just like a master gardener gazes at um, his vine, how amazing it is when Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. If that's the case, And Jesus says that he is the true vine. His father is the gardener or farmer, and we are as his branches. How much more does the father gaze lovingly at you? And just hope that that pulsates and resonates, that lens, as we read this passage. God the Father, 
and the son are intimately connected in their garden. And um, I just want to read it again. And thank you, Jake, for reading through that. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruits. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 1, we see a very important statement. This is a very significant in the zooming back in the bigger context of John as he's cultivating his gospel. One of the things as he's cultivating here is a very, very important statement, which is the I am statements. In fact, we see seven I am statements in which John was putting forth that Jesus is God and that by believing in him that we have a life in his name. And possibly the central theme of John 1 is taking us all the way back to Genesis 1 and that the source of life is God. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then John's biggest purpose for those Gentile believers hearing this was to believe in Jesus Christ that he tied, that he took upon the wrath of God um, due our sin by taking the punishment in our place and then rising again from the dead. He has declared first and foremost that he has the victory over Satan and um, death and sin. And for all those who have trust in, in Jesus, they can have eternal life. It's only fitting that this last, seventh and last I am statement speaks to life. It speaks of Jesus and not just Jesus, but it links the Father together in close community. If you look at it, it says Jesus is the vine and the Father is the gardener. Here Jesus very clearly submits to God the Father that there's equality with him and God, but yet he is intimately interconnected. He submits, he comes under the Father. And we see this intimate connection there. And the word gardener has a lot of weaving and in and out of, weaves in and out of scripture. In Isaiah chapter 27, two through six, you can turn there if you need to, but it speaks of how the gardener lovingly takes care and tends to his garden. Can you imagine that? When you read through the book of Isaiah, it doesn't seem like a very happy book. In fact, you know, probably the first 39 picture, and starting in Isaiah 25 all the way to 27, that speaks of, Jesus, of God just being that gardener that loves and tends to his garden and loves even disobedient Israel. And so at the very core of Jesus' I am statement, he's not just coldly giving this out to prove coldly that he is God, as if that was the only point and was an apologetic point, but he's saying that the Father and I are lovingly committed to the work of tending the garden. And that's where the vine imagery takes kind of a shift. And that's where it's different. Most of the time when Israel is seen as the vine, it's always seen as the rebellious vine in several passages. Most notably, notably in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21 and 22, God says himself in judgment, he says, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. 
How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. But there's a change in this vineyard metaphor. The vine is no longer a degenerate vine. There's no, no longer punishment or judgment on this vine. There is nothing but love for this vine in the identity of Jesus. And Jesus turns around this image of a vine, of being a rebellious and wild vine, and then he also changes the image of the disciples who are pictured as branches, and he turns it into a picture of overwhelming joy. Jesus serves as a mediator between the father, the vine dresser, and the branches, which are the people who are following the ways of God. So in other words, where this passage or in this metaphor is usually stands in judgment over us, Jesus, along with his father, is now taking delight over us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? When you look at the complexity and just the just the, the tone and the storyline of Scripture. Jesus is communicating to us, I'm here, I'm the vine, and I'm mediating life, and I'm mediating sustenance. I'm the very source of life itself. You cannot live without me. And I am in close community with my Father. Yes, my Father told me to prune off all the unfruitful branches, yes, but the goal is not punitive. The goal is to prune so that fruit would be born. And taken together, the Father and the Son are devoted to his work of pruning and cleansing. So yes, this is both a warning passage. Uh, don't want to dull that, but yes, it's also an assurance passage. You, when you look at this, my heart is that you see just what I see every morning in my garden is that you just see the heart of the Son and the Father. They are enjoying close community. They are loving one another passionately. They are enjoying themselves, God the Father and God the Son. They are glorifying one another in eternal love for one another. And so when you look at how Jesus shares deep and intimate communion with the Father, you see that all through um, the latter part of this text. Um, the father kind of ducks out and then comes back again. Look at verse eight. It says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be uh, my disciples. What we see here is this at the outgrowth of this intimate communion is that Jesus's life is all about passionately glorifying the father. And what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that is actually what the God of creation is doing with all the persons of the Trinity. God the Father is glorifying the Son. The Son is glorifying the Father. And the Holy Spirit is illuminating the work of the Son and giving glory to both to the Father and the Son. And they are just have this eternal stream of glorifying one another in sweet, deep community. Even just as, this, as we see this, this is his foremost occupation. And when we find life in Christ, as we abide in Christ, and as Jesus' words abide in us, we are also bringing glory to the Father. Jesus said that his purpose, when you ask something in the name of the Son, he will do that the Father is glorified in the Son. And this is seen in the high priestly prayer. No better than that. In John chapter 17, 1 through 2. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom um, you have given him. This is incredible, because before the foundations of the earth was ever laid, before there was ever a rock or a stone or anything, any planet or any galaxy in the universe was ever created, God was pouring out affection and love over his son. And there was no end to this. The glory and the honor and the blessing and the praise that flowed out from our lips were just a very snapshot of heaven and what life was like before in eternity past. Even, Jesus says, even when he was on earth, he said, I glorified you on earth and haven't accomplished that the, the work that you gave me to do. He hadn't finished that work yet. And yet Jesus could say that without a doubt, even though he hadn't gone to the cross, that he was passionately committed to the work of glorifying his Father. Verse nine, back in John, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so we see here that Jesus is satisfied in the Father's love. And, you know, I think the lie that we believe so often is that God is not satisfied with us. But to the extent that the Father has loved his Son, the same love has been given to us. Look at that, those words, as um, I have, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. There's no end to that. Verse 10, Jesus kept perfectly the Father's commandments. In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And this is the lie that we, many of us all believe, including myself, um, so many times is that God is just a performance-oriented God, that he doesn't love me when I fail. And somehow I'm just somewhat less than. That because of my sin, I have to hide and grovel, and I need to earn my way back to the Father. But there's no lie greater than the pits of hell that God, when you stand in the covering of Christ, Jesus stands perfectly. He's done the Father's commandments and his will perfectly. You have been justified by faith. His righteousness, his perfect record has been handed to your account so you can stand in his love because of what Jesus did in perfect obedience to his Father. And then verse, verse 10, also Jesus not only has kept the Father's commandments, but he also abides in his love. So I just want to say that the main thrust of this passage is not more doing. In fact, it's probably more being. It's starting with that God's relationship with his son is, is one of such intimacy and such love that we just need to sit back and look at life in the Godhead and admire that. You know, if we spent less of our time uh, rehearsing on media and video or information um, and social networks, but we spent time in the life of God and seeing Jesus enjoy the Father and the Father enjoy the Son, I think the more we would enjoy life with God. When we're called to abide in his life, which Jesus modeled perfectly, we draw from the ever-flowing vine. And as we draw from the vine, we can't do anything but receive what Jesus gives us through his mediating life. We just need to start with the being of God. Start with his all-pervasive, all-consuming joy. And um, as Randy has said it before, 
to sweep back the curtain. This is our God, and he's inviting us into fellowship with him. Man, I want to be part of that. Amen? Just want to be, it was just an amazing, amazing thing. Um, yesterday, uh, it was just really an amazing experience. Yesterday morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, you're kind of like, what did you just do at 6 o'clock in the morning that you even call enjoyable? <laughs> um, well, it was uh, where 350 men came together for what we call the F3 Katie Convergence, and F3 stands for Family, Fitness, and Faith, and it starts with a workout, but F3 is not about a workout, primarily. F3 exists because we're not here for ourselves or for our own success, but for God and for family and others. And, um, and so they just really exist to grow and reinvigorate male leadership. And so we were having a big event, bringing all the Katy regions together and on a high school football field on their nice art, a bunch of 350 sweaty men um, gathering together at a nice artificial turf a football field and doing a beat down for like an hour and a half. Um, and so yesterday, one of the men, uh, his name, his, we all have nicknames. Uh, my nickname is Raisin. Um, and it kind of comes from where I'm from. I'm from California, so you can probably put the two together. Um, but this guy that was speaking, his name was Papa John, and, um, and, and he drove this point home. And he contrasted the search for success um, with significance. And he said, he gave this illustration of this, the Hall of Fame speeches of Michael Jordan versus David Robinson. And now when you look at that, Michael Jordan gave 22 minutes of primarily just focused, being focused on his own success, while David Robinson focused on giving thanks for everyone who played a part in his life, including his wife, his sons, his teammates, and his coaches, and uh, most of all, God. Um, and in his speech, David Robinson said, they, they said, I, they didn't give me much time, I wrote out a speech, but I, didn't, I, I don't have the time for this. I don't know if I have the time to... to so I'm just going to thank um, the people closest to me. And so he started encouraging his boys, how proud he was of them, how much he loved them, hope, and hope that, you know, that his life would just give him a motivation to continue on the Robinson name. And Papa John just kind of challenged us in saying, are you going to live for success or for significance? And then he brought up his youngest son up there on stage. Before all the 350 men, he just spent some time not talking to us, but talking to his son and just encouraging him and speaking of how he is loved by God. He is known by him, encouraging him of his leadership abilities and exhorting him to love God. And that just struck a chord in me. It brought tears in my eyes, and I think it's causing something in me too, but there is just something about when you get to listen in and hear a father speak life into his son. How much more do we get to look at the father above speaking into his son in this passage? That's what it means to abide in Christ. Not just spiritual activity, not just doing disciplines, not just mere routines, 
but you're walking into a relationship where you are coming in earshot of a father speaking life into his son and then his son speaking life over his children. And that's how we're to abide in Christ's love. And so that's the lens that I want us to see us in. But my last point is that sometimes when we are loved on, accepted by God, um, cared for by God, um, it's so easy to think that the Christian life is just all that. But actually, we need pruning also in order to bear fruits. You know, when you prune um, a plant, you're not, you're not just cutting off branches here and there and everywhere, kind of like what I do, uh, which leads to the, the tree uh, looking really ugly. <laughs> um, but you are taking away, you're looking at every branch that points downward or goes, is not within the, the shape of the tree. And so you're cutting off every, every branch so that the energy and the source, the sustenance can be redirected to bear more fruit in the fruit-bearing branches that's going like this. Take a look in verses two through five. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruits. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, God can bring pleasure in your life, but he can also bring pain in your life. It can be in the pruning in the areas that makes us deeply, deeply uncomfortable. In fact, the Father wants to press us into areas that we are not surrendering to him in. And yet, if we really trusted and that God, his best purposes are for us. Um, we would do that, but yet there's something about us in our flesh and maybe in our pride that says to God, sure, anything but that. There are areas that are, in a sense, uh, going into the branches that are leading downward rather than and hindering the growth into the needed areas. And the master gardener is looking at us and he's intent on every purpose, every branch that, 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 uh, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruits. Did you catch that? It's actually the fruit-bearing uh, branches that he is lopping off. And it's for our joy. Even though the act of being pruned is not enjoyable. Um, and I've seen this over and over again, that the Lord is just so, so gracious um, during this process. It's painful because you think <laughs> that you have gotten a little further in your Christian faith, and maybe you're 40 or you're 50, and you feel like you've already known that, you've already learned those lessons, and that you've moved on, but yet you see that if you, if you looked at yourself, there are a lot of dead branches hanging on, and you need to be pruned. And um, one of the areas recently where God is doing a work in me is um, the area of lopping off uh, my identity that finds its worth um, in the ministry that I do. 
As you know, I'll be taking a sabbatical coming up in mid-November, woohoo. Uh, really grateful <laughs> for the church allowing me to do that. Um, and it may seem to you like, why is, he, you know, why is he talking about that? That's awesome, you get to rest, right? And why should you have anything you know, to be scared about? And, uh, and so as I begin to ask God what he wants to do in me during my sabbatical, you know, God, do you want me to do guitar lessons? Or, you know, God, do you want me to do this and this? And uh, I had this strong sense that he wanted to foremost um, deal with my hearts. And, uh, and I was like, oh, Lord, okay, great. <laughs> this is going to be good, I think. And I think the Lord was just saying to me, I want to pray to you. This is for your good. Yes, you're going to get some rest. But the main thing I want you to do is not the book that you're going to read or the 10 books that you're going to read. It's not the vacation. It's not uh, even the seizing and stopping of things that I've been doing for 15 years. Um, But you're going to rest and you're going to kind of lose that pastor title and you're just going to be Steve. And are you going to be okay with that? And are you going to take rest and solace in, in that? And um, another hopeful was praying for me, and um, he too sensed that God didn't want to wait for my sabbatical, and he said, no, he's going to, he wants to start right now. And so as I started praying over that, and, and the Lord began to just show me areas in which I was just literally anxious and worried um, about the future. Um, There were areas that I didn't want to face. There were things I was scared about. And uh, there are things that uh, I just felt so much anxiety. As the Lord began to really speak into me, I just began to realize as um, Jake had had mentioned this uh, kind of a a excavation project on my heart. And he revealed to me that just my self-worth is just so inextricably entangled in what I do rather than my abiding in Christ in the vine. And so we just have this, it kind of reminds me of this crepe myrtle tree um, in my house, uh, in front of my house on my side actually, whose branches are just gnarly. It is just insanely ugly. Um, So don't look at it next time you go to my house. Um, But they go in all sorts of different directions. They go here and then go back around and across a, a few different branches in different directions, and they look like a different tree. I mean, it looks like the, the tree has something, has, needs some spiritual warfare um, on it and needs some prayer on it. Um, but I think the Lord was just saying, that's what, that's what your heart looks like. <laughs> um, and the Lord wants, and, and this is something that I'm fighting through, and you can pray along with me in that, He's not showing me things to hurt me, but he's showing me the areas in which needs to be cut off so that it would lead to areas of future growth and even just present growth, really. I mean, in, he's helping me separate who I am from what I do. And in the process, he is wanting to comfort me in my anxiety and my fears of, of not doing something that I've been so used to doing for like 15 years and plus. And the Lord is graciously cutting off these things because he loves me. And he doesn't want me to hold on to these things. And he is just pruning the heck out of me. And I think that that's true of all of us. I'm so thankful for Hope Church, of how you live out 
your life in hunger and surrender for the Lord God. And when it comes to the uncomfortable areas of, that God is showing in your life, the areas that are painful, the areas that are coming in your mind right now, maybe it's areas of addiction, maybe areas of sin, maybe areas of unforgiveness, maybe it's areas of uh, just past hurts, he is bringing to mind not only the joyful, but because he loves you, he's gonna bring the painful. And this, these things God wants to root out so that you can experience his love in deeper ways. It's harder than it looks, but one way that the Lord has used it is just through being soaked by God's word. And I'm so thankful for Chris Block and his leadership and just our discipleship group. And I know so many of our discipleship groups have really been growing and so thankful um, just for um, our elders, especially Ryan putting that all together. But one of those ways is just being soaked in God's word. Look at verse seven. If you obey, abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It means that as we are growing into this, as we are pressing into the pruning, that we are saying that the word of God saturates us so that we are remaining in Christ. Even through the trials, we are saying that God's word is supreme above all. We need the word of God to be active in all of our hearts. And as we are meditating on Colossians chapter three, um, man, God is just really changing um, our, our groups and just really meditating on new life. Every single time there's something new. Somebody's coming up with something, um, just the insights that they, just questionings, and it's just been so good. But in verse John 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If these things are true, we will ask God for the help to be able to do that. We'll have the mind of Christ so that when we pray, all of our selfish requests will be rooted out and we will start asking for the things to be taken, uh, things that are painful um, to uh, not be taken away, but that we would ask God and say, Jesus, where do you want to prune next in my life? And in that sense, when we're inviting Jesus into our mess and into our struggle, <laughs> that's when the Lord Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna give you whatever you wish. Even those areas that are hard, even those areas that are painful, and even those areas um, that you wanna hold on to. Not my will, not your will, but your will be done. And so our, ultimately, our abiding is, grows through the word, it grows through prayer, and our abiding is grounded in obedience. And when you give yourself to obedience, joyful, God-honoring obedience, guess what? You will abide in his love even when it's painful. Your pruning holds your joy. You are surrendering to Jesus deeper places in your heart. The more you will see the areas which needs to be cut off, the more you will gladly just give over the pruners to Jesus, and the more he will bear fruit and multiply, and the more you will taste the life of God in Jesus. And that there's gonna be real joy. There's gonna be such real joy that Christ has promised you. He's spoken all of these things so that his joy, verse 11, may be full. He didn't promise that it'll just be in you, but he said your joy may be full. And that's actually the word for being made complete. 
being brought to the finish line. This same God who says, I'm going to use pain to prune you, is this very same God who is eternally committed and passionate about your joy. Jesus Christ is not calling us to a life of joyless obedience, nor is he calling us to all joy but no pain. Your pruning is intimately connected with painful joy. It's kind of like, you know, we've gone through five births, but childbirthing is a painful experience other than, but unmatched to the joy that you receive after birth. And the same thing, Jesus does things in our life that are painful in order to bring us unparalleled joy. And we need that. We need the body, we need the word, we need the Holy Spirit, we need the gift of prayer, we need the gift of other brothers and sisters speaking into us um, so that together we're not uh, just trusting in Jesus by our own lonesome selves, but we are trusting God. Um, As the song says, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to rest in him. just from sinful um, self, um, just as, oh, I'm totally butchering this, his promise. And just to know, thus saith the Lord. And that's the, the tune of our hearts and the tune of our lives. And I just wanna take some time as we sit in this and I wanna invite the worship team to come on up. What areas of your life is God wanting to prune you and yet you are holding back. Um, what is holding you back? And that's something you might want to dialogue with God in this time as we pray and as we spend some time. What is holding you back um, from letting the Lord do what he wants to do in you? Is it rejection? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Or something you just can't even put a finger on, and that's okay. And so I just want us to take some time, and let's go ahead and pray. You can stand, you can sit. Um, And we'll just spend a few minutes doing that, and then I'll just invite the prayer team to come up. Um, But just spend some time to ask the Lord to prune you, to speak to you in these areas. And then just spend some time soaking in the Lord Jesus' love. So let's go ahead and pray and spend our time just in silent um, meditation and as we sit with Jesus.